Greetings, glorious humans, gentle ladies, ladmen, ladies and gentlemen, dreamers and dreams alike, and welcome to the Devolver Digital Forecast here at forecast.devolverdigital.com. Hi, I'm your co-host JM, and this is your co-host Robbie. Hey, Robbie, how's it going? Uh, it's all right, JM. It's all right. Do you want to know what I'm doing right now? I mean, I can see you, but sure. <laughs> you can't see what I'm looking at, which, apart from Thanks you... Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> apart from you, do you remember when uh, we uh, had Kurt on the episode and he told us about the Hollywood auction? I do remember that. That is happening right now. And I've got the auction window <laughs> open on my computer and I'm watching people bid on all of the lots. Currently, people are bidding on lot number five, Jack Bauer, Kiefer Sutherland's stunt 9mm pistol from uh, 24. That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now it's uh, 310 to Yuma. Dan Evans, Christian Bale, Stunt Spencer, eighteen sixty carbine. That's a rifle. Yes, so, yeah. yes, thank it's you. Pretty exciting. <laughs> I'm American. So, I know what a carbine is. You know what a rifle is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't uh, need a stunt rifle. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's what's happening on my screen right now. Besides, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna expand your window so that I'm not. Uh, completely distracted by uh by lots there you go oh you're full screen now oh hi yeah (laughs) i've gotten fuller screen since covid um (laughs) robbie this is not at all what we planned no no it's not what what we (laughs) robbie forgot that i was supposed to I forgot what I was supposed to do. So <laughs> But that's okay. The people at home are listening to this and they're still confused. So that's that's like at least half of what we p- intended. JM you, you seem despondent. It's it's I, I I don't even know what to do with you right now, Robbie. I just <laughs> We had a plan. And then, and then this happened, and I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. Uh, it's all falling to pieces. Uh, we were gonna do a bit for this episode, and then you just, you just, you just completely blacked out. Uh, hey, Jam. It's not always been this bad, has it? I mean, not always. If you think back, man, we're we've had twenty weeks of amazing episodes it's like five where months. we've talked to we've talked to each other we've even talked to other people that's true yeah we have talked to other people it all seems so distant now it does all seem such a distant memory but not to me because my memory is sharp as a pin remember when uh we talked to terry and dose one about cat buttholes you know, Robbie, I think I do remember talking to Terry Dose for one about cat buttholes. Yeah, I think I do. <laughs> Terry, the first time I saw it was, I think, before you shared. The first thing I ever saw from Sludge Life was you tweeted uh, a smoking animation. And then the next thing I saw was Double Butthole Cat, and you think the tag was oops. That you... All right. Yeah. Now, was that actually an accident where you, like, clicked too fast and duplicated the butthole? Yeah. So when you're modeling... (laughs) When you're modeling, it's common to split the, the model in half and just mirror it so if you change one mm-hmm. thing on the side it does it on the other side like for a character especially so i was modeling the cat and when i was adding the textures the butthole was 
offset a bit, so it doubled the butthole. See, see what I'm saying? Like, complete by accident. I was like, oh, you know, immediately loved it. You accidentally then, created this genetic freak. Yeah. Uh, but then we added it to the game, but it was like not a big thing. It was just no. like a cat with two buttholes. And then Devolver was thing. really into it. And then we, we pushed yeah. it just because Devolver Fork was Parker. Into it. Yeah. Loved it. I think, yeah, I think what you mean is. Nigel saw it. <laughs> and then, saw a double butthole and cat it, and lost and his goddamn built mind. The entire marketing campaign around it. <laughs> yeah, and it no, was but great. even before you signed it, you know, like, he didn't even know there was a game attached to the double yeah, butthole cat until like a month ago. <laughs> he, he was like, "Where's the double butthole cat game?" And we were like, "What? What's like, dude? It's about tanking." But yeah, I mean, not that, it. not that we minded. It was great. Yeah, yeah and it was kind of, and then one of my favorite. Double butthole cat Easter eggs is if you notice in the litter box, there's a little equal sign duty that he left. I don't know if you guys saw that. <laughs> so next time you play, try, you know, take a second to figure that out. And then actually at the end, Terry and I had multiple threads where we both, we weren't being hard on ourselves, but there was like an energy to it where we're like, man, this is like really. Everyone really likes this double butthole cat, but we're not really making enough of it in the game. So then we made it that it's the new internet phenomenon. (laughs) It's replacing the talking cat, who was the big shit on the island. Yes. But he's now salty since double butthole cat came. (laughs) So. It's so good. True to life. Well, maybe now it's gonna, like, that might be reflected in the real world. Maybe Double Butthole Cat will become an explosive video game meme. I hope so. Because honestly, like, the butthole is just, I'm gonna throw this out there, I know it's risky, it is underrepresented in video games. And I'm not talking about doing weird things with it, but how many buttholes are there in video games, and we have two on one animal? Yeah, and it's, it's a infinitely more butthole than more game. Yeah. Most games. Well, the I world's always... embarrassed. It doesn't want to render its butthole. I always in, enjoyed. In a... I always enjoyed the buttholes in genital jousting. Actually, yes, mm. that's true. Those were good. They were good buttholes because you could interact with those as well. Yeah, that's ours. Aren't there? That high five. Th- there is a pig's butthole in The Witcher Three. Awesome. Oh. I was thinking. And the camera... I can't think of other ones. There's a scene where this village gets turned into pigs and you're talking to one of them and the camera is a low angle towards Geralt and the pig is standing right in front and it is just, the left side of the screen is just pig butthole. Uh, yeah, but... Only one, though. The thing about cats, though, you you gotta... You, you just see their buttholes all the time. Like, they're yeah. shoving their buttholes <laughs> that's, in that's, that's, yeah. <laughs> They do flaunt them. Yeah, you can pretend that you're not looking, but you're looking at it. <laughs> They point it directly at you and just yeah. stand there. So have you guys seen the bedazzled butthole thing that there is for cats? What, you can bedazzle uh, a cat? Butthole? Google it. Yeah, let's not, let's, let's like digress away from this. But later today and anyone listening to this, this exists and people do this. They put a little dot. It's like, so like a butt plug. I don't know. It's like a little sticky. I thought you said we were digressing. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. It's, it's I was real. promised digression. Yep. Sparkle. Bling on Put some, if you want to put the bling on it. Oh my god. My girlfriend. Her cat, so her cat, Todd, um, he has a very, very prominent butthole. And uh, he he also had um, a slight problem recently. He was like um, allergic to something or, or something like this. And he was like, he would groom himself until like all the fur came off his back legs and his tail and stuff. Oh, Jesus. Mm. So it was more I know. He wasn't in any pain, and he's better now. He got some medication for it. But it was so strange because he, he the whole back half of this cat was basically completely bald, apart from his tail, like the half of his tail, and then just like a small circle of hair around his little protruding <laughs> butthole. Aww. <laughs> so, uh... That's oh, like man, a monk. She would love cat. that. Yeah, she would love to be able to decorate his butthole. He's grown his hair back now, but I, I still think that um, he seems fairly proud of it. So I think he'd appreciate a, a bit of uh, bedazzlement. 
Where do you do it? Do you have to do it yourself, though, or can you do it, go to, like, a salon? <laughs> the cat's not going to do it himself. I don't know. You can't get your cat to bedazzle their own butt. And it's not <laughs> sanitary. Robbie. No, but there, also, might be like, there might be, like, a lady that does it or something. Well, they got to be temporary, because it's like, you can't just plug that thing up. <laughs> no. Unless you got a second, you know? Well, there oh, you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Oh, now that's what I call content. <laughs> Those guys. <sighs> Robbie, what's yeah. wrong? Well, you know, you just, just the way you, the way that segment made me feel, I don't know. I, I feel like. I mean, we had a good time, right? Yeah, we had a good time, but it feels like hollow somehow. You know, like, I feel like. I feel like all this podcast has been doing is like is just feeding our fans with empty calories, empty calories of of laughter. Yeah, is that really enough though? Well, you know, Robbie, we've done more than just uh, just silly, you know, interviews with talented developers. We've uh, what about the episodes uh, like Pitches Get Stitches or Marketing Malarketing, where you were, you know, helping people learn how to market their games and, and get, you know, because remember a lot of folks that listen to us are indie devs that really want to learn, you know, or, or get some insight into, into how to get their games out there. And Do you remember all the good things you had to help to teach them to, I don't know, to get people to know about their games? I do like to talk about marketing, JM. I do indeed. I remember so fondly all of the amazing tips that I gave to people. I wonder if anyone out there has used those tips to market their game. Tips like... <laughs> Things that you found that people do that are effective... Um, and and help them to get their game talked about. You want me to answer this all at once? Well, if you can, I mean... Keep it simple. That's all you have to do. Keep it simple, yeah. So we live... So right now we live in a world... It's a 24-hour news cycle, right? Mm -hmm. So it never fucking stops. Um, That goes for journalists, streamers, influencers... Everyone, there's a constant stream of um, new games being announced, updates for games being announced, uh, breaking stories, all kinds of shit. So your job should always be to make things as easy as possible for those people to uh, understand, digest, Mm -hmm. um, and some good questions to ask yourself before committing to like a, a push on PR or marketing is first thing first, how do you want to be covered? Um, so that is, you could ask yourself questions like, uh, what, what sort of headlines are you looking for? Um, you know, what are the headlines that you want to read about your game? Where do you want, where do you want those to appear? (laughs) You know, obviously taking into account what I just said about (laughs) aiming for the big guys first. Um, uh, think about the medium. So you were saying like, um, do you write something? Do you create a video? Um, you know, what do you do? The, in an ideal situation, the best thing is to try and do as much of it as you can, mm-hmm. um, because it's all valuable. Um, but it's good to identify things like if you're doing your first push, yeah, is a written press release going to do it on its own or is a video a better way in which to articulate what your game is, you know, um, is, is there anything stopping you from just, just having a video of you just going, hello, this is who I am, this is my game. It's pretty cool, look at it right over there, it's making lots of noises. And, uh, you know, rather than just sending people uh, an email, uh, you know, or whatever. Um, so those are all the sorts of questions you want to be asking yourself. How And how much of yourself do you want to give to these people first time out? as well like do you want to announce everything about your game or are you just teasing it or do you have a build of your game that you'd like to give to certain people you know are you that confident where it's like oh i really think that people would 
uh, understand and get the most out of what I'm trying to show them if I literally just give them the game to play. So there are lots of different things that you need to figure out before you really get stuck in uh, to uh, your PR and marketing. Um, and you want to have a plan for all of that, of course. Um, the simplest way to start a plan, I find, is to draw up a little timeline. You know, when is your when do you want to launch? Uh, are there any other uh, marketing factors that play into that? Do you have a part partners, partnerships with any uh, platforms like a Nintendo or PlayStation or Epic Games or Steam? where uh, they have advised you about some marketing uh, windows for some added support from them, whether it be a PlayStation blog or a Nintendo Direct, for example. Um, think about uh, where events might lie. I mean, not right now, obviously, but um, <laughs> think about where events might pop up, you know, your PAX, Gamescom, uh, EGX, game. Uh, I said Gamescom, uh, E3, that's the other one. Um, yeah. Anything like that. Um do you want to go to those shows? Do you, would you get any benefit from this? Would these you say there's questions. a benefit to those shows? Yeah, I mean, it, I think it really depends on um, what your what your budget looks like and what you want to get out of it, and and, and like if it if it's really beneficial for your game. Something like, mm-hmm. um, for example, this year PAX uh, we PAX East. Mm-hmm. We had Fall Guys, and it was the first time in uh, in the US where we'd had, you know, the game multiplayer on the floor uh, where people could play it mm-hmm. publicly. And mm-hmm. that was a great place to show it because, uh, you know, lots and lots of traffic, so plenty of people to come and play together. Um, and we also had crowds around the game as well so people could see other people playing it could understand what was going on uh, and then get involved for themselves and that's uh that was that's beneficial for a game like that it's good for people to see that in action to see that it works to see how it works um but you know a smaller narrative driven single player experience that requires headphones to get the most out of it Gods will be watching uh, was really hard to share. It's a hard game to show, exactly. And it's like, there will probably be plenty of people who will stop by, play the game and enjoy it. And you could get some press attention. You could get a lot of attention for it, but it's, it's, it's weighing up, you know, the, the, the cost versus, um, the, the potential audience that you could reach. That's the advantage really of doing a convention is getting press to see, your game, right? I mean, it's wonderful to have people. See- so, I mean, I've done more conventions than I've done. I mean, I've, I don't do marketing. It makes me sick. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but conventions are a great opportunity for, for folks to see. First of all, it's a tremendous experience. I think I've heard so many devs talk about it. Seeing people play your game for the first time, like strangers walk up and experience your game, is a terrifying and eye-opening experience. Mm-hmm. I remember Gabe Cazillo of Ape Out uh, was just was equally in love and mortified by <laughs> like what was going on because like watching people suck at Ape Out is painful. Um, but then when you see people get it, and you learn what people you know, there's there's the way you assume people will experience your game, and then there's the way that human beings actually do Precisely. when they're experiencing your game for the first yeah. time. Yeah, so that's a, and getting to see that is yeah. Yeah, that's so that goes back to what we were saying earlier about um, you have you have to assume that everybody who meets you, sees your game or plays it for the very first time, you know, or, or comes to play it is is completely oblivious. They don't care yeah. who you are. They don't know who you are. They don't know what your game is. Um, they're probably going to ask stupid questions um, and that's what you have to remember. Like you have to remember that, um, you're, you're bringing something yeah. into the world that didn't exist before. So people are going to have a lot of questions about it. People aren't or not everybody's going to get it right away. Um, sure. you know, and I think we talked about this before on a previous podcast about, you know, it does help, um, to, you know, kind of have a bit of a thick skin because you, yeah. you, you, you can come in for criticism. Um, some of that criticism can happen right to your face. <laughs> so, yeah, some people were born without tact. Yeah, exactly. Um, particularly people who play video games. But um, 
yeah, but you can plan for all of this, you know. There's yeah. there's no reason for you to go into all of this blind. I would, I would dread for anybody to walk into it and, and have no idea what to expect. <laughs> and then after a day, yeah. just be like, oh, fuck it, I want to go home. Um, yeah. Uh, because you're not allowed to go home. You have to come back and do it again for another four days. Yeah. Um, but uh, That's a good learning opportunity, too, to figure out how to talk about the game. Yes, exactly. So How to explain it to people. And then when, when you do have an interview with someone from a games website you have already kind of picked up a way to talk exactly think about how how do you want your game to be perceived you know it's um it's important to think about that um because then when you are speaking to the relevant people about it um then you can be clear you can be clear about who you are uh what the game is how it works and why you think that person would like it you know, it, it really helps mm. to just ha- kind of have all of that kind of set in your mind. Um, you know, there's no point, we talked about this before as well, but there's no point in just bullshitting people or telling them what they want to hear um, or anything like that or 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 ch- trying to appease people. Like, mm-hmm. just, be, just be confident enough in yourself and your game to be able to stand up in front of a room full of people naked preferably (laughs) (laughs) completely naked and go this is my game this is why i made it this is why i think it's cool this is why i i think you might like it or this is why i hope you all like it um and yeah that's it i mean it helps if get you make naked it helps if robbie's tips to selling you get naked get naked Oh, Oh, criminy. Now that's what I call content. Oh, yeah. So good. Yeah. So fun. So much fun. And informative. It was really informative. Don't you just love it when we have those really informative moments where we're talking to the people at home about how amazing they could be if they'd only follow our advice. Yeah. 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 It's pretty good. Feels like feels like uh feels like you feel something something is still missing, JM. I don't know, Robbie. I just gosh. We've been locked up for so long and it's about time for this would be when PAX West would be starting up, and oh, I don't yeah. know. You know, it 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 hurts to think about all the good times in the past, but man, it it hurts so good, you know. And well, remember the time when we talked about E three, JM, on the remember forecast? how we reminisced about all the good times. Oh, <laughs> we, had we so did many do that, stories. didn't we, Robbie? We did. We had so many. You had so many great stories. Oh. You were telling the stories about Mike Wilson. Oh, and you were talking about the bands. That's yeah. right. It went something like this. My highlight uh, is definitely the year that we had the uh the bands on the lot yeah yeah uh it was just that was there was something really magic in the air that night i think um so we had so dose dose one Mm -hmm. was there and he did a kind of a a dj set Mm -hmm. um, and i think he rapped as well and then Mm -hmm. there was um damian from crow team and Robin, well, I think right after I think right after Do- was was it before or after Dose? I want to say uh, Adam, a uh, different Adam, did uh, some some spoken word. Oh, uh, possibly stuff. Friend of Mike's. I, I can't remember his last name, but anyway, so that did happen too. Just wanted to yeah, acknowledge that I was extremely uh, yeah. drunk. Um, Fair enough. But yeah, and then there was uh, Damien from Crow Team uh, played Damien and Robin. Yeah, played with Robin. And then uh, Dennis and Nicholas El played El Huevo. 
they played, which was amazing. And then uh, Magic Sword played. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> it was just, oh man, it was just fucking so good. All the music was amazing, obviously. But like, we invited so many friends to the lot. Um, and it just it just felt like it was never going to end. Like, because we went from the daytime where we were on the lot uh, doing press all day and then and and various bits and pieces and then like it segued into the evening we shut the lot down so nobody so the only people that were there were just like everyone from devolver and then the people who were setting the stage up and then gradually people started to show up and uh all the friends that we'd invited those old guys all started to come down and stuff and then we were just all just drinking and having a lovely time and then the music started and it was just amazing. I just remember just like having such a great time, just having so many like nice conversations with people. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just remember sort of going home after that or going back to the mansion after that and just feeling really like content, <laughs> you know, it's just like, yeah, this is the best time of year, like hands down. It's so good. <laughs> and just the bands were so amazing as well. And then, like shortly after that, Magic Sword, this had a song on like Thor, um, Thor, Thor yeah. Ragnarok. Yeah, it was the, it yeah. was in the trailer, and so they blew up after that, which is like that. That was amazing as well because it was like, wow, I can't believe they they came down to to play our little parking lot show. Yeah, I think it was Sweet just like guys too. Yeah, really nice dudes. Oh, it was so good, and it's just it just really reminded me of just like how awesome everyone is at Devolver you know to to go to the trouble of making something like that happen just because you know it's just like we want to have a fun party with bands at e3 in a car park so let's make it happen and uh yeah obviously i can't take any and wouldn't take any credit for making that happen but just knowing just being in the company of people who make shit like that happen is just like so cool yeah so fucking cool and I think there's a, I think uh, that you can see some of that, some of those performances on our YouTube channel as well. Oh, yeah, E3 yeah, behind yeah. the schemes. Um, so that was a definite highlight for me. Nice. Mm. So JM, yeah, you mentioned that you found your E3 diaries. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I think. I think me and all of the fans um, would love to hear um, some. Some of the stories, maybe some excerpts, um, maybe some funny anecdotes, or maybe just some some sweet memories that you might have uh, from your diary, if you're prepared to share some of those. Uh, sure. Uh, all right. June 11th, 2013. Tuesday. Good morning. Hi, I'm currently in sunny California. Yesterday was fun. I only got two hours of sleep because I was scheduled to close Sunday night. I was working at a restaurant. Uh, the flight was lovely. Uh, flights were lovely. On the first plane, a beautiful family sat behind me. I loved listening to them laugh and talk and share with one another. I told them so. On the second plane, the guy sitting next to me was studying Chinese, and when we landed, there was a plane with Chinese written on it. I asked him to translate, and he did. It said, Fly China Chinese. Aww. <laughs> yeah, this is the cutest thing ever. <laughs> uh, while waiting for the bus, I met a beautiful woman named Alex. We talked of this and that and spoke some German, and she talked about doing motion capture. Oh, while I was flying over Nevada, or maybe it was still Arizona, or was it New Mexico? The sun reflected, glinted, shimmered off of something in the desperate distance, and then it was gone. Beautiful. So I met a couple of game designers from New York who were nice in their New York sort of way. <laughs> I parted from them and hopped on the subway. My work day was pretty fun. I'd have had more fun and been more useful if I'd slept properly, but as it was, I spent a lot of time getting good at finding the bugs in our build of Hotline Miami 2. Nice. Andy, this cool chick with beautiful eyes, and I, at the mention of that the train stop by our site was Pico Station, both leapt into Llama School. We are now friends. Uh, Llama <laughs> School is a song from Syphil and Ollie. Oh, right. Okay. Very 
weird things. The sock puppets. The sock puppets, exactly. Exactly. We ate at a Cajun restaurant. The portions were huge. Oh, the game designers. These guys are so cool. Two from Poland and two from uh, Sweden, I think. <laughs> I've had a challenge remembering their names. We're staying in a beautiful mansion, still being refitted as a hostel. I'm too excited about today to keep writing right now. I love you, JM. I'll catch you later. Oh, my God. So that was your first ever day at E3. That was my first ever day at E3. Wow. Oh, man. Yeah. That's great. That was where I... Yeah. That was, I think that day, or maybe it was the next day, was when I actually learned why, like, Hotline Miami was good. Oh, really? <laughs> Because I didn't like Hotline Miami. Like, I'd, I'd been given Hotline 1 to demo when I did my first South by Southwest gig. And uh, I played it, and it got to the part where it's like, do you like hurting other people? And it's like, lol, cool. And I was like, no, I don't. And I stopped playing. <laughs> uh, and, like, when I was pitching it, I was like, do you want to get in touch with your inner sociopath? Try Hotline Miami. Like, I was like, this game is fucked up. This is very fucking just violent shit. Uh, and I met Dennis, and we were talking about the... Uh, the scene in Hotline Miami 2, which was in the demo at the time, where there's the guy in the club and he's all drugged up and they, like, hit him in the face with a bat and he's not even sure that he's like, did you just hit me? Mm. Like, he, like he's so out of it. And I was talking to him about how fucked up that scene was and how, like, really awful it is and how deeply, like, he's like, he keeps calling out. Like, he's like, there's this person. Like, talk to this person. They'll come get me. Uh, and Dennis was like, yeah, we wanted to see, like... Like, what people were, like, we wanted to push it uh, because, you know, the, the, they'd made the first game as violent and gross and disgusting as they could. Uh, and, like, people were still fine with it. So he's like, like, how, like, can we get it to a point where they, like, where it makes them, un un actually makes them uncomfortable. Mm. And so that was like, I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's way better. Yeah. Yeah. There is, there is a deeper thought process going on there yeah it's not just like yay violence yeah so did you keep a diary at every e3 uh i think most of them yeah oh man the next night the next entry involves the night of the foot race uh so we'd been up partying on the karaoke bus and so the karaoke party bus had been on the lot every night and um me and andy and scott had been singing on it every night. Right. Uh, and nobody else had. And one night, like, we were winding down. We we're like, all right, we've been enjoying our private karaoke room. We're winding down. And it was like, God, I don't know. It was like two in the morning. And we're like, all right, we're going to get to go home to the, the mansion soon. Maybe it was one in the morning. I don't know. And uh, these, like, fancy investor dudes showed up. And Mike and somebody else were like, all right, keep the party going. we got to keep the party going for these guys. And we're like, okay. So we're still karaokeing. And, uh... I'm on I'm on the bus and all of a sudden uh I think Jonathan is the name of one of the the people that runs the bus uh it's him and his wife uh, but he he jumps up onto the bus he goes jam get off the bus or jam come on there's going to be a foot race and I was like what and I took everything out of my pockets threw it on the dash and ran outside the bus um and it was me Jonathan who's super tall it's either James or Jonathan I can't remember sorry uh Mike Wilson who is like only an inch taller than me and I'm 5'6" Uh, and then these two tall, like, executive dudes. And I had been running a lot at that time. I had recently discovered how much I liked running. Uh, so I ran a lot. And, like, at that E3, like, anytime I wanted to decompress, I just kind of, like, run around the block. And yeah. It was great. My knees hate me now. <laughs> um, but at the time, I felt great. And uh, so we, we line up. And there's the five of us. And we, we put money in a hat. There was $13 in a hat. <laughs> and... Uh, and we like we're in this parking lot at like two or three in the morning in downtown Los Angeles, and five grown men are like we're gonna run to that fence like a hundred yards away and then run all the way back. And so we go and we're running and we're running and I'm I'm going as fast as I can. I've been practicing running. I'm in like I've I've got good shoes on. I'm like I'm gonna win this thing, uh, and I get to the fence and I'm on the far right of the group and so everyone is to my left. And I, I, we get to the fence, and just as I'm about to hit the fence, I hear someone hit the fence before me. And I was upset. Like, all these thoughts happen in an instant, but I'm like, God damn it, I can't win. Like, 
just being short, man. I'm not going to win this race. Like these tall motherfuckers, they, they're not like they didn't cut. They, like I've been running so much. Like how can I not beat these guys? Like even now? Yeah. It's not fair being short. And I turn around and the only person in front of me is Mike Wilson, who is like only like an inch or two taller than me. And I was like, oh, it's the other short guy. And what came out of my mouth was fucking Wilson. <laughs> and I put on all of my speed. And I'm running as fast as I can fucking go. And, I mean, I am, like, I'm barely touching the ground. I'm flying. Like, my toes are just touching the ground. And Mike's got, like, he's got, like, a 15-foot lead on me. And I'm like, shit, I'm not going to make it. And then I start closing the gap. And it's a long run back, so we've got plenty of time. And I'm closing the gap. And I'm closing the gap. I'm like, oh, shit. If I can just keep this up, I'm going to win. I'm just on my tiptoes. I'm just flying fast as I can go. I'm about to pass Mike. And Mike motherfucking clotheslines me. He reaches out and he hits me in the chest. And I am going as fast as I can fucking go. And I fell forward. And I wish someone had recorded it because... Have you ever been in these moments of like... Like something happens so fast... But some part of your brain just like is like, oh, I got this. Just do this. Some part of my brain just goes, just roll. Yeah. And so I did some kind of fucking ninja roll <laughs> and popped right back up on my feet. And I like wasn't running because I was like, ah, man, I lost. Yeah. And someone's like, keep going because everyone else is still behind me. I still came in second place. And, and but you got Mike fucked over by Mike. I got fucked over by Mike. Not only did he hit me, he kept the $13 <laughs> from the hat. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that was that was my that was part of my first E3. So that's <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. oh now that's what I call content. Oh Mike. So cool that we get to work with so many great people. Like pillars of the industry, you know? Yeah. Robbie, what's wrong? Well, Tom Skerritt's costume, his spacesuit from the original Alien movie, has just been sold for $7,500 on the auction. And oh, we were just so, so busy enjoying the E3 memories that I missed it. Oh, I know no, you. I'll never, I'll never own Tom Skerritt's spacesuit. Spacesuit. Uh, spacesuit. Yeah, the pop card's really working. <laughs> I know you always wanted Tom Skerritt to be your dad and that uh, this owning his spacesuit was the closest you were ever going to get. I know. I feel like there should have been a big chunk of the Fall Guys money set aside to these auctions. I mean, it's it's the least they could have done for me, you know? Mm-hmm, 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 after you made their game such a success. Exactly. Now we're both depressed. Yeah, now we're both depressed. You don't own Tom Skerritt's spacesuit, and I don't own Christian Bale's carbine. And why did Kurt even tell us about this dumb auction? Ah, uh, well, hey, you know what? It was actually only it was actually only one part of the conversation that we had with Kurt. The rest of it was actually was actually pretty good. Yeah. You, you know, despite the fact that he told us <laughs> about this auction that is now leading to our great depression. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We we actually had some really great times talking to Kurt about Do, his video trailers. Yeah. Do you remember that time he told us about how he revolutionized the video game, the indie game trailer industry? Yeah. Single-handedly. Yeah. I remember... He was talking about being in Canada. 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 But, yeah, I mean, like, I've always, like, ever since I was a kid, I've just been, like, a giant nerd, you know? Like, I don't know how far back you want me to go, but, I mean, like, even when I was, like, in, like, you know, like, 
eight, nine, 12 years old, I was doing things like trick photography and like my parents would rent a video camera because nobody could afford a video camera. This is like in like the early eighties, you know, you can't afford to buy one of those things. Those are thousands of dollars. So we would rent one for Christmas, you know? And so we would have like one of those big, like, you know, crappy VHS cameras and I would like play, they put it on the tripod and we play around with it. And so I was always into like video stuff in some way mm -hmm. or another. And I mean, like as computers got better, like I was always like in the computer clubs and, you know, like doing like video and I did programming for a while. Like I, I, I made a game in Pascal, which is like this super ancient programming language that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> but this is the funny story. This is, this is why I, I don't make games is because I, I had this shooter where it's like you move like this spaceship, like around the screen and you click the mouse to like shoot. And it was basically like a, like a space invaders kind of like clone. Right. Mm -hmm. And there was a bug in the game where every single time you clicked, it would, like, store that click in memory. And then when mm -hmm. you died, the, the Mac would go, like, bap, 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 bap. It would beep for the number of times that you clicked. <laughs> so, so you're destroying, like, 50 space invaders on screen, and then you die. And then the computer would just, like, beep incessantly for, like, a minute and a half. And there was no internet. There is no, like, help forums. There is none of that stuff back then. And I'm just like, I can't fix this problem. I don't know what's going on. This sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so I stopped. I just stopped making games. And I was like, you know what I had more fun with? Animating the little 3D spinning ball that was in, in the thing. That was really fun. So I started playing around with, like, 3D software and stuff. And, uh... Yeah, so that, that kind of got me, like, out through high school. And then after high school, there was, like, a program here in Winnipeg. It was uh, um, called the Interactive Game Developer Program. And it was just, like, shoddily put together by, like, some staff that knew some things about video games. But the one good part of it was um, Radical Entertainment, who is out of Vancouver, uh, they decided or they somehow <laughs> were allowed to basically use us as game testers for like the practicum part of the course, right? So here we are sitting in Winnipeg. There's a bunch of us all in this room and we would just be playing. We played like Jackie Chan Stuntmaster for PS1. There was like a snowboarding oh, game. There was like an NBA game and there was a hockey game. And we were literally playing the games and recording footage onto VHS tapes. And when a bug would happen, we jotted down the time code. And then at the end of the day, we would mail the VHS tapes out to Vancouver. All right, and then they would like FedEx us like you know burnt CDs for like the hacked PlayStations we were using, and put those in and play the next build and repeat for like a couple weeks, and we would do that. And so that was like the first time I was really like doing something in the gaming industry. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty fun, and I mean it was a great time. I mean it was just like there was a bunch of us, and we were all just like hanging out playing games, and I mean like we were getting some work done, I guess. <laughs> it was kind of ridiculous, but. Uh, yeah, so that was that. And I'd like say, I've always been like a, a, like, you can, I don't know, you can see my room here in the picture. The people yeah. at home can't see the room, so why should I even, I don't know, I got a picture of the wizard. I mean, like, I'm a total video game guy, right? I just yeah. was going to comment on Star that. Fox <laughs> Yeah, no, I there. love that. California. I mean, come on. It's just <laughs> classic. It's so good. So, yeah, it just, you know, it's always been part of my life and just in some way or another. And, you know, when I was a kid, I always wanted to, like, work at Nintendo. And I just, I could never figure out how to make that work. So, it's like, I wanted to work at Nintendo and I wanted to work um, at ILM, like, doing visual effects for movies. Mm. And those are two of, like, my, my top things, right? I need to do those two things. And so, uh, ILM is like, how the hell do you get to ILM? <laughs> like, it's such, yeah. a, it's such, like, a, you know... It, what's the weird abstract kind of concept, especially when, you know, back then when there was like, you, you have to have a connection, you have to live in San Francisco, you know, yeah. but anyway, so as luck would have it, there was this very, very small visual effects studio in Winnipeg that started up called Frantic Films. And so I started working there and I was there for about a decade. Um, and I worked on about 25 or so like Hollywood B to C grade movies, <laughs> you know, nothing <laughs> very good, but um, it was like a pressure cooker. You know, and it's just mm -hmm. like you're you're working like 80 hour weeks, you know, constantly. And like some of my friends were pulling like 120 hour weeks. However, that's possible. You're basically sleeping at work and, you know, waking up. And it's it's a ridiculous industry. And then it's still like that in some ways today in a lot of studios. Wow. Yeah, it, it's it's a pressure cooker. Like, yeah, working in film is, is tough. 
And so, but this is the thing, like at the time, you know, I was like young 20, you know, and it's just like, you know, all you do is just sit and you, you can work your, your ass off if you really want to. And mm-hmm. I was sitting next to some of the smartest people I've ever met in my life, you know, like amazing technical directors, amazing supervisors, like some crazy art directors and just like brilliant, just like throbbing brains people, you know, and just being in that environment, just you learn so much so fast. And, uh, like, I I don't think I'd ever want to go back. (laughs) Uh, Well, I've got bad news for you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We've got to let you go. We sold you to... uh, There's no movie shooting out right now anyway. (laughs) There's no visual effects to be done. So I'm doubly screwed. Um, So, I mean, yeah, it was, like, a really crazy environment to be in. But, yeah, I loved it, you know, for what it was. And, I mean, like, there was definitely days and weeks and sometimes months where you're just like, what am I doing with my life, you know? But at the same time, I learned so much. And so, anyway, to sort of tie this back into where where it comes together. So, I quit the visual effects industry, and I kind of bounced around a few places. Just, like, you know, I worked for, like, an HVAC company for a while. It lasted (laughs) three months I, I just couldn't hack it <laughs> and uh i i ran a training class or a training uh, lab rather and i was teaching like photoshop and after effects and you know different things like that and i was running the lab and sort of working with this nonprofit. and what ended up happening is i went from like working like an insane amount of time to working very very little in comparison and i had all this yeah. extra free time and i ended up meeting some game developers here locally in winnipeg and so what ended up happening is we made this arcade cabinet called the Winnetron 1000. And it was an arcade cabinet that played indie games that were made in Winnipeg and from around the world. And this was about 10 years ago. So the landscape was obviously incredibly different. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys remember Cannibalt. It was like an iOS yeah. game. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Adam Saltzman, who was friends with one of the guys we were working on, he basically gave us this custom two-player build of Cannibalt specifically for the Winnetron. And so we were going to unveil this arcade machine at, like, this chiptune dance party that was happening this weekend in the city, and we were going to, like, we wheeled it down there on, like, this thing and everything. And so anyway, we were like, hey, we should make a trailer to promote this thing. And I was like, hey, that's a great idea. I know how to do video stuff. And then one of the other guys was like, hey, we should get, like, the guy from Cannibal, like, running along the rooftops of Winnipeg. And I was like, that's a great idea. We should do that. And so then we had, like, two days to do this all. And so me and my friend, we were, like, on Google Maps trying to figure out how do we get on the top of all these parking lots <laughs> or, like, parkades in Winnipeg to get the highest vantage points to, like, shoot the roof and everything like that. So we planned oh out a couple God. of shots. And you got to keep in mind, too, this is the middle of winter. And so it was, like, minus 25, minus 30 Celsius here. And so we're freezing our ass. Anyway, basically, long story short, we were freezing our asses off. We shoot this thing. I get all the footage. And I just spend, like, the next, like, 18 hours, basically, just, like, editing this thing, doing all the visual effects and tracking the character into all the shots. And it was essentially, like, taking that decade's worth of visual effect experience and condensing it into, like, 18 hours. You know, if it wasn't for all those skills that I had gained over that time, I would have never been able to do this project in that short amount of time. And so that happened, it came out, and at the time, Kotaku was, like, a reputable website, and so it picked it up, and it, like, so, well, come on, I mean, really. (laughs) So, anyway, they picked it up, and they ran it, they ran the story, and it kind of went, quote-unquote, viral at the time, and, I mean, viral then was, you know, sort of in the tens of thousands, I think it got maybe in the low hundred thousands of views or something like that uh, by the end. And, like, so it started to make, like, go around in the circles in the indie dev scene at that time, right? Because nobody had really ever seen a trailer for an indie game that that had this level of, like, production quality and, like, visuals behind it, right? And so, yeah, so slowly I started to get introduced to other people like Rami, and what ended up happening is the next time... Can I just pause you real quick? Yeah, totally. I just wanted. I just. I just really liked that. That part of the story was nobody'd ever seen anything as fucking excellent as I had just made. <laughs> I changed the fucking industry uh, in eighteen hours. I mean, uh, I'm looking at the clock. It took us just over twenty minutes before Kurt claimed that he changed the entire industry. So there you go. Oh, that's, that's we're, we're, on, we're on track. We're on track. <laughs> we're right on track. So yeah, nobody'd ever made a trailer for an indie game that wasn't shit before. And then I, uh, I was like, hey, you know what, guys? I got some experience. Let me, uh, let me crap something out for you. And uh, anyway, took the industry by storm. Kotaku, before they sucked, uh, picked it up. 
<laughs> so great. All right. So you met Rami. <laughs> you met Rami. Oh, Lord. When he put it that way, we got to restart this whole thing. We got to restart this whole thing. Canadians. Oh, you my God. You've probably heard of me. <laughs> well, no, this is okay. So, Rami. No, so this, so this is what's funny. So, like, so Rami was, like, still working at the computer store and everything at this time. I never met him in person, like, until, like, months after all this happened. And so, um, basically, like, Rami was working on Super Crate Box at the time, right? Mm-hmm. And Super Crate Box was, like, blowing up. And so uh, Rami and JW built the second Winatron, which was the Winatron NL, like for Netherlands, right? So they built their whole thing. We gave them, like, all our software, all the launcher and all this stuff. And they're like, hey, we're going to do a two-player version of Super Crate Box specifically for this, right? So then, again, I did this other trailer, and it was, like, way more visual effects intensive. We did, like, you know, we had shot, like, the same person twice and two different things and did Roto. We took the characters from Super Crate Box and had them, like, running around this bar that the Winatron was in and everything. It was super fun. It was a great little project, and we took more time, and so it turned out a lot better. And so that came out, and the same sort of thing started to happen, right? The ball just was slowly starting to roll here. And at the same time, I'm working a day job doing all this, right? I'm still running the computer training lab. And then uh, the guys were like, hey, we're going to bring the Winatron to GDC. And uh, so we should do that. And so literally they stuck it in a van. They took it down to, to San Francisco. And I don't think maybe it was that maybe it was that year. I can't remember exactly the timing of when I met Nigel. I think it was that Winatron or that GDC or the GDC afterwards. But basically Rami, because of me working on that trailer with him for the Winatron, said, hey, he always, no, sorry, let me back up. He was uh, working with Nigel already on Sirius Sam, The Random Encounter. So Mm. that had started, and it was nearing the end, and they needed a trailer for it. And so Rami was like, hey, oh, geez, that's my phone. Hold on a sec. (laughs) Let me turn it off. There we go. (laughs) So so it's like working from home, right? So, yeah. So Rami said, hey, you should, like to Nigel, hey, you should talk to this Kurt guy. He just did this trailer for Super Crate Box. And so Nigel hit me up, and he was like, hey, yeah, we're working on this thing with Rami. Do you want to do that? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Let's see what happens. And so uh, I think I did that. And then after that came out, that's when I met Nigel at GDC. And at that time, uh, they were starting to think about what are we going to do for Hotline Miami? Right, and at the time it was still Cocaine Cowboy, and he showed me. Or did he show me something? I don't know if he did. Maybe it was after we got home he showed me something. But uh, yeah, basically we chatted for like literally five minutes in a hallway at GDC, and I was like, "Yeah, let's do something, sure. Let's see how this works out." And it's uh, been working out ever since. So... <laughs> <laughs> nice. Long story short, very long. That not short at all, actually. <laughs> That's all right. We wanted. I wanted. I wanted to hear it. I so I'm a little. Uh, I'll, I'll confess, I'll, I'll fan out a little bit. Um, you are an, uh, one of the people that when I think about that I work with you, it kind of blows my mind oh. a little bit. Like, you're, I, don't, I don't know. It's just like, whoa, I work with the Kurt Gardner. That's <laughs> fucking amazing. I capture footage for the Kurt Gardner. And I, I don't know, like... Dude, yeah, I'm just a dude I'm, in the basement. Seriously, I got I got lucky. <laughs> Most of the people the I'm starstruck with are though just dudes in basements. <laughs> I got weird taste. Oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> we should hang out more of them. So glad, so glad we get to laugh. We're laughing <laughs> about that and not laughing about something else that just happened. <laughs> Uh, now that's, that's what I what call, I call content. content. Uh, <laughs> we're so in sync, you and I, JM. You see, this it's true, podcast, is, podcast has just brought us closer together in so many ways. It's true. Yeah. Wow. Twenty episodes. Yeah. Twenty-one now. Yeah. Remember how it all began? You know, I don't. Well, one sunny day in Austin, weren't we, we in were bunk walking, beds? We were walking hand in hand. We were. We awoke in bunk beds, <laughs> and then we strolled hand in hand <laughs> to get uh, breakfast burritos. Mm. And we said, "Hey, you know what we should do? We should start a podcast." And then we didn't. 
But many weeks later, (laughs) many weeks later, (laughs) we were trapped at home. We were trapped in the COVID. Oh, yeah. What did we even talk about? I'm actually scrolling down because I don't remember. Oh. Oh. What video game characters would make the best self-quarantine companions? That's right. That's right. Wow. And we learned a lot of interesting facts about Yoshi. We sure did. What would it be like if we were spending self-isolation with some characters from these video games? How about that? How about that? Robbie. Robbie. It's just another great idea from the marketing genius. Robbie, I hope you know we're supposed to be self-isolating and you, sir, just stepped outside the box. Oh, shit. So, Yoshi is my number one. Yoshi is your number one. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so what uh, what is it about Yoshi that makes you uh, want to spend... I could eat his eggs. You can eat his eggs. <laughs> Why would you want to? I don't want to have to go to the grocery store. Ah. Those things are massive. So, you could, <laughs> so you'd rather you could, you'd rather force Yoshi to lay eggs, and instead Yoshi lays eggs all the time. Yeah, but I've seen I'm Yoshi. Pretty sure he fire an egg out of his cloaca to like bonk a Goomba his on the head. His cloaca. His cloaca. Yeah. <laughs> What's his cloaca? Is this canon? A cloaca. No, yeah, I mean, he has to have a cloaca if he's dropping eggs and he's a dinosaur. So a cloaca is what birds use to pee. So you're uh, so, right. So he, he poop he, and lay eggs. He lays eggs out of his bird pee hole. Pee hole. Yeah, it's cloaca. Cloaca. Wow. Yeah, it, it it doubles. It does it does waste disposal and and egg laying. I'm never going to be able to look at Yoshi in the same way. <laughs> so, yeah, eggs. Were you going to say exactly, Jam? Were you actually going to say that? <laughs> I wasn't. I was just going to say something pro-egg. Fuck's sake. <laughs> Why did you do that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sake. That's oh, what I dear. call content. That's, that is some content. <laughs> that's some content. I'm feeling... Yeah, uh, this is good, man. This is a good. This is a good thing. Yeah, I feel, yeah, <laughs> it is. I feel <laughs> the laughter has unlocked something inside me, something that was deep inside, and now I feel, I feel rejuvenated and revitalized with my with my boom wanker arm microphone stand. It's great. I, I need feel to get like. One. I feel like the world is our oyster. We can attack this podcast with bigger and better enthusiasm than ever before. How you are you do feeling? it, Robbie. I feel, I feel, I feel drained. I feel no. I feel revitalized. I feel invigorated. <laughs> I feel excited. This is so wonderful. We've done it, Robbie. We've 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 done it. We've done this for five months. I've never done anything for five months in my life. Me this neither. Is astonishing. This is great. Yeah. And we're going to do it not for five more months, not for five more years. We're going to do it for five more decades. Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I appreciate your optimism about the state of the world. It is a religious (laughs) proclamation, JM. You're right. (laughs) We're going to... We're going to take the Devolver Digital Forecast to new heights. <laughs> that sounds exciting for everyone, Robbie. Yep. What a wonderful think... marketing opportunity. <laughs> it is. It's a marketing opportunity for our friendship. That's right, Robbie. <laughs> so tune in next week, everybody, for more episodes of the Devolver Digital Forecast here at forecast.devolverdigital.com. And you know what we say. Hi. <laughs> we don't have a thing that we say. Shit. <laughs> we don't. This okay. This is a. This is it. This is, this the, is the beginning of the, of the new, new era. era. Now that's what I call content.
Pop Digital Podcast.